Coming west from Halifax and Sorby Bridge, along the narrow valley of the River Calder, you see Scout Rock to your left. North-facing, its dense wood and dark grey stones seem always shadowed. The rock lowers over an industrial village called Mythamroyd. Myth is going to be important, but so is the careful, dispassionate work of demythologizing. The first syllable is pronounced as in my, not as in myth, Mythamroyd. For Ted Hughes, it was my place as much as a mythic place. His childhood was dominated by this dark cliff, a wall of rock and steep woods halfway up the sky, just cleared by the winter sun. This was the perpetual memory of his birthplace, his spiritual midwife, one of his godfathers. It was the curtain and backdrop to his childhood existence. If a man's death is held in place by a stone, my birth was fastened into place by that rock, and for my seven years it pressed its shape and various moods into my brain. Young Ted kept away from Scout Rock. He belonged to the other side of the valley. Once, though, he climbed it with his elder brother, Gerald. They ascended through bracken and birch to a narrow path that braved the edge of the cliff. For six years he had gazed up at the rock, or rather sensed, its admonitory gaze upon him. But now, as if through the other end of the telescope, he was looking down on the place of his birth. He stuffed oak apples into his pockets, observing their corky interior and dusty wormholes. Some he threw into space over the cliff. Gerald, ten years older, lived to shoot. He told his little brother of how a wood pigeon had once been shot in one of the little self-seeding oaks up there on the rock. It had set its wings and sailed out without a wingbeat stone dead into space to crash two miles away on the other side of the valley. He told too of a tramp who, waking from a snooze in the bracken, was mistaken for a fox by a farmer. Shot dead, his body rolled down the slope. A local myth, perhaps. There was also the story of a family, relatives of the Hugheses, who had farmed the levels above the rock for generations. Their house was black, as if made of old gravestones and worn-out horse troughs. One of them was last seen shooting rabbits near the edge. He took the plunge that the whole valley dreams about and fell to his death down the sheer face. Thinking back, the adult Hughes regarded this death as a community peace offering. The valley, he had heard, was notable for its suicides. He blamed the oppression cast by Scout Rock. He wrote his essay about the rock at a dark time. It was composed in 1963 as a broadcast for a BBC home service series called Writers on Themselves. Broadcast three weeks earlier in the same series was a posthumous talk by Sylvia Plath, read by the actress June Tobin, entitled Ocean 1212W. The letter in which BBC producer Lainey Cohn suggested this title for the talk was possibly the last that Plath ever received. Where the primal substance of Ted's childhood was rock, that of Sylvia's was water. My childhood landscape was not land, but the end of land. The cold, salt, 
running hills of the Atlantic. My final memory of the sea is of violence, a still unhealthily yellow day in 1939, the sea molten, steely slick, heaving in its leash like a broody animal, evil violets in its eye. Though a suicide far from the Calder Valley preyed on Hughes's mind as he wrote of the rock, there is no reason to doubt his memory of its force. Still, whenever writers make art out of the details of their childhood, a part of the reader wonders whether that was really how they felt at the time. Is the act of remembering, at some level, inventing the memory? William Wordsworth was the great exemplar of this phenomenon. He called his epic of self a poem on the growth of the poet's mind. And it was there that he pondered questions that we should always ask when reading Hughes's poetry of recollection.